Welcome to the show. I'm Chris Potter, broadcasting from Peterborough, Ontario, Canada. We're going to be talking about mental health. I am an out bipolar with anxiety and ADD. Our guests will be discussing their mental health challenges, their experiences, and their coping mechanisms. The skills they've gained and hopefully give you, the listener, some insights or new perspectives that might help you through the day. There are no rules and nothing is off limits. And now, we're talking. today for the whole reason why we do what we do to inspire them to encourage them to empower them to chase their dreams and never give them away I was 14 years old when I first became homeless in the streets of San Antonio and then with my nine-year-old sister and my two-year-old brother and you want me to dream do you know how hard it is to dream when you have your two-year-old little brother in your hands and he's crying because he's hungry I snuck into a hotel as a homeless teenager to steal a free meal when I heard a motivational speaker and inspired me to not give up on life and understand that my life had value. Why can I have my dreams? Because I'm homeless? Because I come from a broken family? Because of where I grew up? The only reason I couldn't have my dreams was because I stopped dreaming. Never stop dreaming and never stop chasing after those dreams because that future belongs to you. I remember the first time that I heard Roy's story and I remember being more than just touched by his story. I was impacted by his story because I had several students who came up to me afterwards who were just crying. And when I asked them why they were crying, they said, because that's me. If it wasn't for the educators who believed and went to bat for our youth, Messages like mine wouldn't be able to come across. The look in their eyes of, of meeting someone who reflected the possibility of success in their life, I think that moment to me was the one that made me cry the most. I applied at Hart and Simmons University. I got accepted. And in May of 2009, I went from eating ketchup packages in the streets of San Antonio as a homeless teenager, to becoming a college graduate, to today choosing to live my life as an activist, trying to get to one more school, one more shelter, one more organization, just to say this, I don't know what you've seen. I don't know what you've been through. I don't know what you're going through. But what I do know is that we all have a story. And please, whatever your story is, don't give your future away because of it. Because that future belongs to you and no one else. It is yours. Please don't give it away. And seeing how the students receive his, his words, they put their phones down. It was amazing. I've never seen you know, 200 kids without their phone. If we can join together to reach the students that walk through your hallways or in your community, together we can make a difference. We need to empower our kids. We need to create some change. And that change starts with each and every one of us in partnering together. All right, uh, we are talking today with Roy Juarez Jr. And his story is uh, unbelievable. He's He's gone from homelessness to being an advocate and uh, 
uh, a motivational speaker and uh, running youth empowerment and doing leadership and pers- personal growth, di- uh, diversity, change, homelessness, goal setting, mentorship, uh, all kinds of things that, that are, I'm, I'm passionate about and things that, that I have in my background as well. Um, and some of his clients have included the Ford Motor Company and their Ford Driving Dreams Tour to inspire students to graduate on time and pursue a higher, higher education. Um, he's worked with the U.S. Army. He's worked with thousands and thousands of students across. Um, I, how many schools have you have you worked with now, Roy? Oh, I, too many to count, to be quite honest. I on my first national tour, I, I spoke over 517 times um, all over the country. <clears throat> what what was wrong? What was going wrong that that you ended up being homeless at 14? Well, what happened was my my family, my parents had always been in a very rocky relationship and the violence in the home just gradually became worse and worse to the point to where um, one evening when my mother and I found my father in an adulterous relationship, she finally realized that she had enough and she wanted a divorce. But my my father didn't want one and said he wasn't going to give her one. And so. it became very violent at home that we had to go into hiding from him um, just to stay safe. And so um, as my, my parents kept, we kept going to hide every time he found us, we would have to just pack up that night, whatever we can throw into the, into our bed, our bed sheets. That's all that we could take with us and hoping that we can go back and get our stuff later. It didn't happen every single time, but that was the hope um, to the point to where eventually we all just ended up separating Every single one of us went different directions. Um, my my mom went with her boyfriend. My sisters went with their boyfriends, and that really left me with the the charge of what was I going to do with my younger brother and sister? How would I find homes for them? And so I became I first became homeless at fourteen, and then eventually with my nine year old sister and two year old brother. And this is all happening in and around San Antonio and in, in, in yes. Texas. Yeah, all in San Antonio, Texas. What, was there was there not shelters? Or is there is there not supports for for this well, kind of there, situation? There, there is support, but when when you don't know what you don't know, right? Then you go into survivor mode. And as a kid, as a kid, you also have this loyalty to your parents, no matter how hard how hard life has been or or what they've done, because they're your mom and they're your dad. You love them and you want to protect them. And so I didn't want to get my mom in trouble because that's still my mom. And so, and especially in my culture, you're always taught and in many cultures, but I know for sure in my culture, we're always taught what happens at home stays at home. And what that really teaches a kid is it teaches a kid to be silent Uh, before you even know it. You're, you're taught to not use your voice. And that's a lesson that affects your entire life. If you don't learn how to effectively use your voice. Sure. And and there's, there's got to be a little bit of a, an embarrassment too. I think um, I remember as a kid, you know, not wanting to talk about things that had gone at home with, with friends at school. Exactly. I, I would completely agree. Uh, you don't, you don't want to talk about what's, what's going on at home or that you're different. Um, so that was definitely part of the issue as well. There are so many different variables that were, play, that were playing a role in this situation. 
right? And and I think I think a lot of uh, a lot of the anxiety in kids today is is exactly that. It's it's things that are wrong at home, and and uh, the, the the anxiety just creeps up. They don't know how. They don't even know where it's come from. And and a lot of people we I I've been talking to exactly that. They they've ended up having significant anxiety issues because they couldn't talk about what was going on at home. So. Um, uh, what what happened next? You you, uh, you you've got your younger sister and younger brother. So I was able to find a home for them. Uh, my best friend's aunt took my baby brother, and my grandmother took my baby sister. But it was hard for me to find a place to live because I was a teenager. I was fourteen, and I'm assuming that people saw me as he's a teenager. He's probably trouble. Um, he's an extra mouth to feed which was all, I was in trouble, but I was an extra mouth to feed. And so I would go and live in a place for maybe two weeks, three weeks, uh, a month, if I'm lucky, uh, before it was time for me to pack up and bounce to the next house. So I was in homelessness. There's, there's many different levels. You'll have the street kid, you'll have what's called a couch surfer. And that's more of what I was. I was a couch surfer the majority of the time. So you're, you're, you're couch surfing. You're still going to school at this point. Uh, on and off. It, it all depends on where I'm living in the city uh, and if I can get there. So I'm, if, I'm, I'm getting to school as much as I can. And if you're not at school, what are you doing? It, it depends on, on where I'm living. Like, for example, one time I was living out in a country area. So I stayed out there. I didn't go anywhere. I, I just stayed at the person's house while they were away at work. Um, I wanted to be at school though, because that's where I felt normal. That's where I felt like I was a kid again and I could escape what was going on at home because it was consistency and I was going to eat and I got to see some friends or make friends depending on where I was uh, at school. So yeah, the the structure it's it's always always talked about for for all the kids uh, structure and and uh, normalcy and and keeping uh, rules and regulations and it, it makes it so much easier to work within parameters that are set out for you. Exactly, exactly. So so um, you're moving on now. You're 14. You're 15. You're 16. You you've done your couch surfing. Um, and you, you talk about in, uh, in, I think it might be in your bio. It might've been one of the videos you ended up at a hotel. I did. I, so I was, I was couch surfing. I, I was just turned 17 and I was still on the streets. I was living with the family and I found myself in Dallas, Texas when it, it was time for me to leave again. And so the first thing that I thought of, okay, we're now I got to find a safe place to sleep tonight, whether it's with someone else or on the street. Um, and I got to find food to eat. Well, being downtown, I, I, you learn, you learn quickly how to survive. So there was this huge hotel and I was like, wow, that's, that's a huge hotel. They probably have some food in there. So I go into this hotel and I'm looking around and, and sure enough, I find this, this line of women about going to this banquet hall. And so I know that, that they're going to go in there and eat. So I hide my bag and I hang around. And as soon as the women start to file in, I walk right in there with them. And I walk into this huge room that's covered in white linens and silverware and glasses. And I sit in the far back corner because I want to be invisible because if I'm invisible, I get to stay. And that was the same way with every time I moved into a new person's house. I learned quickly that you needed to become invisible because you got to stay at least another day because you weren't a burden to someone. You, you didn't you didn't interrupt their normal way of life. And so 
whether that means you make sure that you clean their entire house, you clean their car, you cut their grass, um, you paint their toenails, because that's what one lady liked for me to do was paint her toenails. You, you do whatever you have to do to become invisible or to become an asset to the home so that they let you stay a little bit longer. And so, well, so, Go ahead. Well, I, I want to ask because I think it's really important to identify in, in this part of the story, because um, you, you've had so much success coming out of this. What kind of mental health challenges were you facing while you were going through all of this? You know, anxiety and 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 fear and, you know, just just being lost. What, what kind of struggles were you facing as you were going I, through this? I would take every single one of them and wrap them up and put a nice bow on it and put it in my pocket because I think I had them all. I was depressed. I I felt that I was a burden to everyone every single time that I was asked to leave or I could feel that they wanted me to leave. So I would leave before they even asked me to. Um, and the question that kept popping in my head was what's wrong with me? What's what what's so wrong with me or what did I do that was so wrong that nobody wants me, that nobody loves me to the point that I thought that it would be better if I wasn't even here, because obviously my grandparents don't want me. My aunt and uncles don't want me. My parents don't want me. You know, nobody right. wants me. And so that led to the idea of, well, I should just kill myself. If I kill myself, then I'm not a burden to anyone anymore. But the only thing that stopped me was, and which became my motivation, were my younger brother and sister. Because I thought, well, if no one's fighting for me and no one's fighting for them, well, I need a fight for them. They, I have to be the one to, to make sure that they have a better life. And that's the only thing that kept me from jumping off a bridge. Literally. Crazy. Amazing. So you're at the back of the room at the hotel. You've got yourself something to eat and uh, you, you hear somebody start talking. Well, so I'm, I'm at the back of this hotel and they, I mean, the dessert's right in front of me. And I mean, I'm still a teenager and I see this dessert. I want it really bad. They're putting chicken in front of me. There's rolls. I mean, they, this conference um, went all out for, for their attendees and I'm, I'm eating as much as I can. I'm even eating the salad. And this lady comes out and I don't care what she has to say. I'm going to eat this meal, take a couple of extra rolls and I'm going to leave. But as I'm eating and she starts to speak, just the way that she told her story and the presence that she had and the emotion and, and you could sense that it wasn't just a story that she was retelling to retell it, but as though she was reliving the story on stage and she was feeling what she felt as a kid uh, talking to her, her immigrant father about what was going on in, in her school and, and what she was going through. And her stories were so powerful. And I remember one in particular, she talked about how she, she was a little girl and she was just having this pity party about life. And she grew up on the border of uh, Mexico and, and, and United States. Matter of fact, about three streets from, from the Rio Grande River. And so, but back in that day, there was no fence that she had to to go cr across. She could just cross the river and you're in Mexico, come back. It, it wasn't anything uh, crazy like that. And so she said that she, you could see the houses on the Mexico side, which, which were, you know, made of, of, of clay and mud. And, and she was sitting there throwing rocks in the river and it started to rain. It started to drizzle and the drizzle became a rain. And she saw the people coming out of their little homes and they were excited and, and, and clapping and, but their houses started to wash away. They started to break down and she was confused. Why are they happy if their houses are breaking down? So she goes to her father and says, dad, I don't understand these people. They're, they're happy and they're dancing and they're excited, but their houses are breaking down. 
And he had said to her, Mia, it's because they're getting clean water. They had, they hadn't rained in some time. And so they were excited about the clean water that they were getting. And she was talking about being appreciating every little thing that you have. And, and I was thinking about my life and, and where, what could I appreciate that I still had, you know, I still had life. I still had an opportunity. I still had um, my, my, my siblings, even though I didn't see them hardly ever, but I could change that because, and then her next several stories, she started talking about chasing your dreams and respect and just her words just filled me with so much hope thinking, wow, if she can make it, I can make it. You know, if she went through all of this and she grew up the way she did, I can do it too. And that's what motivated me to go back to high school because I already had dropped out by this point. So you're, you're 17. You've heard, uh, you've heard, uh, you've heard some words that have stirred your soul and, and you decide to go back to school. How, how were you going to do that? What was the plan to have somewhere to live while you went back to school? So my plan was, was this, this, I thought I came up with the, the perfect plan and, uh, my plan was I would go get my baby brother from my best friend's aunt's house and I would move into a church of some ministers I had known growing up and I would clean their church. I would clean. I mean, I would have it ready for all their services, but they would in exchange, they would let my little brother and I live there and I would put my baby brother on a bus and he will go to school and I will I will watch take care of him until he's old enough to to, to go to school on his own. Uh, like I don't have to walk him to the bus stop and, and that type of thing. And then I would figure out a way to get my GED and then continue on myself. Well, when I went to the church, <clears throat> excuse me, when I went to the church and then the minister was there and I explained my, my great plan to her, what, what I thought could happen if they were willing, the minister said, no, you're not going to live in this church. You'll live with us. And she had, her husband wasn't there when she said this. So she hadn't even talked to her husband about it. So after that, that evening, we jumped in the van with her and went to her home. Um, and she took me in with the one condition was that I went back to high school and that I had to finish high school. So I enrolled at my current, my high school at the time, which was uh, Southwest high school as a 30 year freshman. This, this family takes you in and, and this is, this is different this time. This is, this is not feeling like a burden. This is, this is people well, opening it, their home up to you. I still had those, those those demons that had beat me down living on the street because after a few months, I, I had the itch that I needed to leave. I had been there too long and I had always kept my backpack with me. And it was always every day I wake up, even when I went to school, my backpack went with me and it was packed and ready just in case I wasn't able to come back because right. I knew what life was like. And I knew that people didn't want me back all the time. And so one day she's like, Roy, leave your backpack here. And we were going to go eat. And I said, no, 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 I'll, I'll, I'll take it. And she goes, no, Roy, leave your backpack here. And I was like, no, no, it's okay. I'll, I'll take it. I, I, I don't mind carrying. It. I want to, I want to bring it with me. And she's like, Roy, Mijo, when you're coming back with us, you're, you're coming home. This is your home. I said, no, no, please just let me take my backpack. And she says, okay. She goes, no, no. She goes, listen, I, I, I want you to leave your bag, but um, if you're not willing, that's okay. We'll have dinner here but I want you to learn to leave your bag because this is your home. And sure enough, it was, it was, she always wanted me to leave my bag home so that I knew that I was coming back to it. And one day I remember just waking up and thinking, Oh my God, I, ha I haven't even thought about my bag. Like it became my home. 
Nice. Yeah, that's fantastic. What what a what a what a great uh, what a great couple. Well, I, I'm going to assume you're you're still in contact with these people. Oh, They're still oh, part of your life. Most definitely. It was <laughs> we were just uh, doing some filming with my biolog my biologic excuse me with my adopted dad. And one of the questions that was asked to my adopted dad was, at what moment did baby Roy and baby Ray, my little brother, become part of your family? And his comment was so beautiful. And I think that it's something that every kid lo would love to hear. He said, the moment they walked through that door, they were mine. You know, and I think that, nice. that that's, that's beautiful for, for kids who come from, from broken homes or who are in the foster care system or who have been neglected. You know, that's all you ever want to hear is that you're loved. That's it. That's it. And if, if, if we can love our kids the way they, they deserve to be loved, I'm sure that we can get rid of a lot of these other issues that we deal with through in this world. Sure. But, sure. but it's just, it's just, we're broken people. And then we end up breaking our kids because we're, we're focused on, on trying to fix our own self. That it's just this horrible, ugly cycle that keeps repeating. You know, I, I get to, I get the honor of going all over the United States of America and speaking and it, it, it never fails. It doesn't matter what community I'm in. I will have a line of kids who are, who are telling me about how their parents hate them or their mom chooses the boyfriend over them, um, how they too are raising their younger siblings. And, and I'm thinking, how do we expect for this next generation to, to accomplish when we have so much brokenness? It's an incredible thing to see kids that come from broken homes end up in positive places and right. seeing them come to life and seeing, seeing them change. Um, so you, you got your GED? No, I actually, I, I, I graduated with and got my diploma. Uh, when I went back to high school, yeah. um, I became a freshman, then a sophomore and then a senior. And I was able to get my actual diploma. Oh, good for uh, you. And then, but I, so, I got I got four of my five tests for my GED. I was just about to get my GED because um, I was still trying to to even in the craziness. I was I had dropped out and and took a couple of the tests for my GED, and I there was just one more that I needed that was was pretty difficult. The math section, but um, that was the only one that that I needed to 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 finish. But you graduated anyway. I did. I graduated. Excellent. So, so you graduate and you decide that you want to carry on your education or is that where you decided you wanted to start talking? No. Um, when I, when I graduated, to be honest, I was scared to graduate. I was scared. I, my house became my home, my, my adopted parents. And I made friends for the first time in high school that I got to keep because I was there for so long. And I made I made close relationships with my teachers. And I remember one day asking one of my favorite teachers, I said, Miss Barrera, I said, I have an idea. And she says, what's that, Roy? I said, I was thinking because I helped her run an after school program. I said, I was thinking that I should fail my um, my English class and I can take it again next year. And I'll just be a senior one more year and I can stay here and I'll help you with the with the after school program. And she looked at me with this look of. Why would you even think that? And in, in reality, I was so scared now to to leave this place that I have found so much happiness in. Sure, and structure and exactly. support and friends and 
Exactly. Wow. So, so, you, but you didn't, you didn't stay there for another year. Well, Ms. Badana, she she, didn't, of it? <laughs> she yeah. didn't let me. She yeah. says, bro, she says, Mijo, no, you, you, there's so much that you need to do. She says, you need to, to leave here. You still need to, to continue your education. You need to be educated and education will change everything. And so with this thought of Ms. Barrera and all my ed- other educators telling me that education will change everything and education will open up doors. And so I go and I enroll in community college and I'm not doing so well. Um, I didn't have the, the, the best grades in school because I was so far behind. Um, I didn't have all of the, the, what I needed. I didn't have my college, my high school algebra. Um, so I get to college and I'm struggling and I'm on, actually on the on academic probation, but I'm very interactive with everyone. And I'm, I'm doing a work study position on campus. So the dean of the students knows me. So she comes up to me one day and said, Roy, you know, we have a are you coming to our event tonight? I'm like, no, I'm not going to come. She's like, well, Roy, I really want you to come because I want you to introduce our guest speaker. I'm like, well, who is it? And she said, well, her name is retired Lieutenant Colonel Consuelo Castillo Kickbush, which was the same woman who had seven years earlier was speaking at that hotel I snuck into. Amazing. And I had never heard, I had never met her before. Like even the day at the hotel, all I did was I ran up to the front of, of where she was shaking hands and she had this long line and I just grabbed one of her business cards and walked out, which I still have today, that, that same business card. But so I had never met her and I said, I would love to introduce her. So that, that afternoon in front of my friends, my peers, my professors, I introduced this woman as a, uh, as a woman who gave me a second chance not, of life and never even knew it with just her words. And so that in itself, even today, I think, wow, this woman with her words gave me, without even knowing, in some sense, form, seven years of hope, uh, of enough hope to hold on to think life is going to get better. And that's just with her words. Like I, I imagine what we can do in our homes, in our schools, in our cities, in our countries with just our words. And then when we put action behind those words, I mean, that's power. That's powerful. It's, it's, getting, it's getting the kids um, to believe it. Right. It's got to be the hardest piece to, to all of this. It's got exactly. to people to truly believe that there is hope and that, that it's going to get better. And, and what they're experiencing is not the entirety of, of who they are. Exactly. And, and, yeah. In, incredible. So, so you had a chance to chat with her at this point. Yes. So when I introduced her that way, um, she was in tears. I was in tears. Many of the audience members were in tears. Uh, so I got offered to speak at her book signing two weeks later. To, uh, and so I accepted. So I went to her book signing and I introduced her as the same way that I did at the college. And and um, two weeks after I got hired in her company for a three month internship that ended up lasting two years. Amazing. And I, I, I stopped going to school because I started traveling with her as her, her traveling assistant and, and she just started mentoring me on my life. Nothing about speaking, nothing, nothing about building a career, nothing like that. It was more of unraveling this onion of brokenness that I had, I was wrapped in. Helping me understand more of myself, what my, my dreams were, why my dreams were that. Was it more because it was this impoverished young kid 
who wanted as much money as he could because he thought that was the answer? Or, or was it because this is really what my passion was when it came to the different dreams that I had of who I wanted to be and where I wanted to go? So getting to the core of who I was. And so after the two years, she says, Roy, you really need to go back to college and you need to finish. Where do you want to go to school? And I said, well, I don't know. Like, where do you go to school? And she said, I went to Hardin Simmons University in Abilene, Texas. I said, well, that's where I want to go. Of course. I, I wanted to be this woman was so important to me now. She was like another mother to me. I truly believe that she loved me. I believe that she had my best interest at heart, her and her family. And I feel like I wanted to do everything that she did. I wanted to I wanted to go to the same school she went to because it meant that much to me. And so I did. I went to Hardin Simmons University in Abilene, Texas. And that's where I received my bachelor's degree from. Excellent. So you, you, you've turned it around. You've gone from, from homelessness now to having someone take you under their wing. You, you, you unravel the onion and now you're going to take that message forward. And in, in, in reading up on, on what you did, you decided you were going to go on a, a six month tour and go across the United States at this point. Is that right? That is true. I, so when I be when senior year came from from graduating from uh, college, I get a phone call from Miss Kickbush and she wanted to know what my plans were. And I told her I had planned on moving to the East Coast and getting into a master's program. And she says, no, me, I think you need to work for me. And I really wanted to go to the East Coast, but I also knew that this woman was more than my mentor. She I, I would probably wouldn't even be there if it wasn't for her. So I said, OK, I'll come work for you. So I moved to Las Vegas, Nevada immediately after graduating started uh, working with her, became a traveling assistant again, um, traveling the country with her. But three months into it, she called me into her office and uh, she said, I want to let you know something. I said, okay, well, you know, what's going on? I have my notepad and pen. I'm ready to take notes to tackle whatever task she's going to give me. And she says, I want to let you know that you have three months left with my company and I'm going to let you go. And I said, excuse me? She goes, you have three months left and you're fired. And I said, why? Like, I thought this is what I was supposed. I thought, I thought if I would have known this, I would have never moved here. I would have went to the East coast. And she says, Roy, she said, you're not meant to work for me, mijo. She says, you're not meant to work for me. You have three months to save money and go do whatever it is that you think that you're meant to do. But I'm telling you right now, it's not working for me. And so I was mad. I mean, I, I, I moved there, found an apartment, Told my roommate I had, I had a stable job. I could pay my bills. And now I'm unemployed. Well, I, in three months, I was going to be. So I decided not to buy any furniture. And I sleep on my, my roommate's couch. And about a month into it, I have this crazy dream. And in this dream, over and over and over again, and they're singing, come on in. Come on in. Together, we can make a difference. Come on in. And as we're all entering this, this big arena, people are clapping and they're cheering. It's not for me. It's, it's, it's the energy of the room. And it feels as though we're at this international conference where we're learning to fight social injustices throughout the world. And I wake up because my roommate comes in and he works at the time in Vegas. He worked on the, on the Vegas strip. So he comes in about five o'clock in the morning and I wake up and I'm like, Nick, I know what I have to do. And he's like, what are you talking about? I said, Nick, I, I got to do a tour. I have to do a tour. I have no idea how the tour came out of that dream. 
but I woke up with this burning desire and passion that I was going to live out of my car and I was going to drive from LA, Los Angeles to Jacksonville, Florida. And I was going to speak for free at any high school, middle school, shelter organization, any place that would open up their doors. And I was going to just try to tell my story to as many young people as possible with the hopes to inspire them not to give up on life, no matter what they've seen, what they've been through and understand how powerful education was. And so two months later, I launched my first national tour called the Homeless by Choice Tour because I was homeless again, but this time it was my choice. And it was only supposed to be six months, but there was so much need that I decided to circle the entire country. And I ended up living out of my car for two and a half years, but was able to speak to over 100,000 young people. That's amazing. And you had no grants, you had no sponsorships, you had nobody putting money up for anything. Oh my God, it was the hardest thing I have ever done in my life. It was so hard. And not just the hunger, the, the stories. I mean, the stories from these young people that of what they were going through, I, I knew I knew what that felt like. I was there. And as a kid, that destroys you. That that hurts. Like, I know I should be happy that I have a roof over my head and I have food in my mouth, but I'm a kid. I want to feel it. That just told me as a kid, you're not loved. Mm-hmm. They don't really care about you. Right. You don't have candles to blow out. And so that after one of those presentations, I I had a line of students lined up to talk to me. And I look off to my right and I see a young man in a corner, peeking around the corner, staring at me. And he stays there as I go through every student until there's no one left. And then he comes out from around the corner and he's crying. He's crying and he says, sir, I live alone. I work full time as well as as come to school. He says, today's my birthday. And I don't have any candles to blow out either. Oh, my God. It killed me. Oh, my God. It killed me because I know what he's going through. I know it. I know it. And so I flew back. I flew back probably two weeks, three weeks later. And with the with the with the permission of the, of the principal, we pulled out him and his friends from class and we threw him this amazing birthday party <laughs> right there in the lunch of uh, their school. Because I get it. I get it. And he's he's one of many. He's one of many that that. uh, This poor kid, I mean, that's crazy. I I can't imagine. I honestly, you know, without having gone through anything like that, it's it's impossible to imagine or even begin to comprehend or understand what it would be like as a child to just not have to just yeah. not have anything and, and to struggle so hard. Um, it's, it's incredible. You, you have now spoken to hundreds of thousands of, of yes. kids. I've, I've, I've watched, like I said, I watched some of the video, the impact that you have, you've got kids breaking down and crying and sharing the, you know, the, the stories that they don't tell anybody. Right. How's that feel for you? I think that's that's the only reason it keeps me going. Like, I'll be honest, this this work is is hard. It's very hard. Um, I don't have a consistent life. Um, I travel 20, 25 days a month and makes it really hard to make friends even at home. So all my friends are throughout the country. I don't have them in my hometown because I'm never here. Um, so that's the hard part. But. They're worth it. They, they really are. You know, I, I think about the kid who who his school counselor tells me 
you know, this young man's father committed suicide and he's been dealing with a, a lot of a lot of the the whys and, and a lot of anger and where he's now here at the alternative school. So when I go when I go in there, the kid said, sir, can I tell you something? And I say, yes, he goes, um, my my dad commits, committed suicide. I said, me, I'm, I'm very sorry about that. And and he says, but can I tell you something that no one else knows? I said, what's that? He goes, he did it in front of me. He said he looked he looked up at me and said, I'm sorry. And then he pulled the trigger. He goes, he goes, I told everyone that I wasn't in the room. He goes, but sir, he did it in front of me. And my God, this, 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 this poor kid, this poor kid. No wonder he's in the alternative school. I mean, yeah. I, I don't even know how I would deal with that. Like, man. That's brutal. That's really it's, brutal. It's, and it, it's, it's, it's one of many. It's one of many. And there's, that's why there's so much, so much need. So much need. And that's why I, I, I can't stop. I can't. So, so what's, what's next for you? What's your, what's your goal to really <sighs> take this, you know, really uh, take this to, to a national level and, and get some, get some help for these kids and some comprehension and understanding. My, my, for me, my biggest question is how do I, how can I make a bigger impact? Because it's not enough for me to go to one school, to the next school, to the next school, because I'm only hitting 500 to a thousand each time. I need to be able to reach even more, which is why I recently wrote the book because I felt if I could, if I could reach more people in the book, they can share it with someone else. And, um, so I, I just came out with my first book. Um, it was published in, um, August of 28, excuse me, August of 2018. Yep. And so that has helped me. Um, I'm working on a documentary because I feel that that would also be another avenue and tool that can be used to inspire and motivate young people. Um, but that's the big question for me right now is what can I do that will give me a bigger, a bigger reach? Well, hopefully, hopefully, you know, uh, friends like our Southern Fred Asian who connected the two of us together, we can continue com creating networks of people and really start addressing mental health challenges and mental health issues around exactly. around the world. Because, you know, um, there's 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 so much misunderstanding and, and, and comprehension as to, to what our issues are. And every single person is in their own version of, of those mental health challenges. Exactly. Two people are alike. It's impossible to come up with a single simple solution and, you know, good for you. So well done. I, I, I admire what you're doing. It's an, it's incredible that you do it. I, I don't know how you have the strength to hear the stories after the stories after the stories that you hear and still hold it together. I see, I see you, you know, you break down and you cry with these kids just as hard as they cry. And I, I, I good for you. Thank you for doing it. So well done. Uh, the name of your book is, uh, it's homeless by choice, a memoir of love, hate and forgiveness. And people can order that on your website at homelessbychoice.com. And where else can they get it? Uh, that, that's exactly the best place they can find it on Amazon, uh, yep. Barnes and Nobles uh, online as well. But uh, homelessbychoice.com would probably be the best place. But I must share this. I must say this. I am very, very close to my biological mother today. My mom is a good woman. She was just broken. And I can love her the way I want her to love me. And it, it's today we're extremely close because of that. Parents are human. They make mistakes. They, they break like we break and they hurt like we hurt. And they're human and it's okay to make mistakes. We just have to make it right. 
Amazing. Uh, Roy, I cannot tell you how much I appreciate you taking the time, uh, a fair amount of time with me today to, to talk about you and, and what you're doing. And again, I admire so very, very much your ability to get at these kids and really reach down to the core of these kids and pull them up and, and let them know that, that it's okay and things are going to get better. That's right. Thank you so much. I appreciate that. Is there any uh, is there any resources that you uh, you want to share? National resources that kids can call, uh, any any phone numbers or websites that they can go to um, to get immediate help. I would definitely have them first reach out to those that are closest to them and in form of your favorite teacher, your principals, your counselor, that aunt that you're close to, or that uncle that you're close to. You're not alone, but you need to have, you need to be able to learn to use your voice. You're not alone. Excellent. Thanks. Once again, uh, Roy, uh, thanks so much for coming on. Uh, That is, we're talking for today and we will uh, talk to you on the next episode. Thanks for listening. 